0: Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a good time, whether you're here in person or at home, uh, just quickly saying hello to someone. Uh, at this point, I'm going to invite Lester to come up, and uh, he will read the Scripture passage for us this morning. Lester? Do I sound, do I sound okay? These, these masks play around with the mic when you do the positioning initially. Let me read the Scripture for us this morning. <clears throat> So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, 2 Corinthians 5.9. My name is Lester. I work at the Faith and Work Ministry here at the church. I'm really glad we're having this series on faith and work. Let me ask you, why do you live in this city? How many of you have moved here because there's something about Toronto? I moved to Toronto a couple years ago. I grew up here, but I came back. And I came back because I wanted to do my, my medical training here. I trained at SickKids because it's a good hospital, it's got a good, good reputation. I did that because I wanted to succeed. At least that's, that's in part where I came back to this city. And I wonder how many of us have a similar story. And I want you to know, I think there's something actually very, very good about that impulse. There's something very, very good about that kind of ambition. Ambition is this kind of strong desire that we have to succeed. It's a desire for a kind of greatness. And actually, that's really good. It's, be, it's good because it reminds us that as people, we are desiring creatures. We want things. But the problem is that ambition can be directed to good or bad things. When you're hungry, you can eat healthy things, you can eat things that are bad for you. And so our ambition can be good or bad insofar as it's directed to a particular end. And what's important about that is that ambition the opposite of ambition is, is actually not humility. See, if you think of ambition, the opposite of ambition as humility, you've probably run into that kind of nasty ambition, where somebody has been ruthless and really proud. But actually, ambition at its core isn't, isn't really like that. See, the opposite of ambition is actually a kind of timidity, a kind of passivity. We live in a culture where we really uphold our ambitions. And I think there are multiple reasons for that. We're being shaped every single day in our culture. One of the things that shapes us is is our economy. A number of years ago, a sociologist named Richard Sennett delivered a series of lectures, and he was talking about how our economy has changed. And one of the things that's changed in our economy is that people tend to move from job to job a lot more now. We don't tend to like the same kind of hierarchical structures at work, and so things are often changing. And what that means is we don't necessarily have this same trajectory in our mind anymore. You spend so many years here, then you move to another place, you move to another place. And he argues that that has shifted the way we think about ourselves. It means that we focus so much more on potential. Pay attention to the kind of rhetoric that's used when you're applying for a job. Great work opportunity, great career opportunity. That's how we focus on things now. And what that means is you're, you're focusing on the kinds of things that you can achieve. It makes you ambitious. Anthropologists have also looked at how, how market economies, like the one that we live in, is different from many historic uh, economies. Because a lot of the times when we're doing things, when we're interacting with people, we're transacting, we're doing that with people we don't really know. And When you get something off of Amazon, you don't, you don't really know who you're getting that from. And what happens in this kind of economy is you need to stand out, you need to be competitive. What does that do? Again, that focuses things on you. It focuses on you needing to stand out, you need to be ambitious. Now on top of that, we also live in a meritocratic kind of individualistic culture. Alain de Botton is a uh, well-known secular philosopher that founded the School of Life, and he wrote a book on anxiety. And he asked the question, why are we so anxious? And he says we're so anxious because you and I, we're not born with noble blood anymore. You don't have your status given to you when you're born. I don't go around introducing myself as Lester, son of Robert. Right? You need to make yourself respectable. You need to make your identity. And that's why you're so anxious. Because all that pressure is on ourselves. We need to, we need to make this happen. That's why we need to be ambitious. But beneath both of these things, I think there's a, there's a deeper sense in how we look at the world. Halfway through the 20th century, many philosophers began looking at the world and and asking questions about our existence. One of the most well-known existential philosophers, his name was Jean-Paul Sartre, and he had a famous phrase, existence precedes essence. And by that he meant, "We we don't believe that God orchestrates and guides the universe anymore. We're by ourselves. There's no human nature, divine image. You just exist, there's no essence. And what that means is that the world out there is a chaos. There's no organizing principle that I need to conform myself to. You just are. You are the author of your own existence and everything around you. And we kind of like that. We kind of like that in our culture, right? Be whatever you want to be. But interestingly, for the existentialists, it was terrifying. It was terrifying because it means the weight of the world, the weight of everything, everything that you screw up is all on your shoulders. When you put all of that together, it makes us ambitious. It makes us need to be active to make our mark in the world. But often when we think about our ambition, we often think about what we want to be. And as we live in this narrative, what that means is that you need to do, you need to do, you need to do so you can be someone. We're ambitious because it gives us our significance. But underlying that is another assumption. And it's the assumption that you can author your own significance. That you can make yourself satisfied. That you can make it happen. And when you put that together, it means that our ambitions are actually about self-salvation. They're actually about self-glory. It's about you delivering yourself. And how's that working? How many of you have seen relationships broken because of unmitigated ambitions. Philip Reef was a well-known sociologist, and he spoke to one of his pupils. And when he had this meeting with him, he said, you reek of ambition. And he was warning him. He was warning him because in the academic world at that time, mostly men, he had seen so many academics just sacrifice their children, make their wives, their secretaries, so that they could publish their next book. Relationships broken because of ambitions. And that's a conversation I have frequently with my wife, myself. What am I sacrificing to try to achieve these things? How many morals have been compromised because of our ambitions? How many times have you been thrown under the bus? How many times have you thrown somebody under the bus? All this talk in our culture about burnout Why are we so burned out? How many of us are working because we need to work? Work Work-life balance doesn't work when you need to work to make your own significance. And when we're shaped this way, how do we look at other people that are not as ambitious as us? When I first moved for residency, I remember meeting my neighbor introduce myself you know what do you do oh you know i'm a resident physician oh that's great what does your wife do well she's at home with our kids oh no that's literally what she said oh no how do we look at people that we don't see as ambitious as ourselves and so if ambition can be so destructive what do we do about it Casey King is a historian that's written a book on the history of ambition. And he says that one of the things that that people have done through history is they've said, well, you know what? Ambition is destructive, so we need to repress it. The Stoic philosophers were most well-known for this strategy. Marcus Aurelius called these great generals slaves to their ambitions. He looked down on them. Suppre- you've got to suppress that desire so you're not so destructive. Now, if you've ever tried to do that, it's like a whack-a-mole game. You knock it down and it just pops up somewhere else. Or you run into the opposite problem of my neighbor. You start looking down on people who can't suppress their ambition like you can. Another option is why don't we redirect our ambitions? Uh, Casey King points out in the 17th century how increasingly people began to move from their immediate career ambitions towards this kind of exploration of the new world. They were redirecting their ambitions. And what happened? There was indeed all this exploration, but it also led to the subjugation and degradation of so many local indigenous people. When you redirect your ambition, you still run into the same problems. And so where are we left today? As a pediatrician, I have to make a... Disney reference. If you've ever seen the movie Soul, in this movie there is a man who aspires to a kind of greatness in his music playing. He wants to play with the greats. He wants to play on a certain stage. And in the movie he, he basically like comes back from the dead to make sure he can do this. And Disney is well known for telling us to follow our hearts, to pursue your dreams, your passions, and so on. But what happens in this movie? He gets there. He does it. And then he walks out of that jazz club and he realizes, oh, life is life is still the same. The ambition didn't really satisfy. And so what is Disney's solution? Disney's solution is, well, Actually, uh, I can pay attention to the, to the sky, the leaves, good pizza. Remember that those are all the great things in life. And of course, Disney makes it very palatable. But what that is, is it's a kind of resignation. It's a kind of giving up. Your ambitions don't satisfy, so don't pursue them. Just enjoy the small things in life. That's where we are as a culture when it comes to our ambition. Ambition is hard to manage. You try to run with it, you run into problems. You try to repress it, you run into problems. You try to redirect it, you run into problems. What we need is we need a new kind of ambition. We need to redeem our ambitions. Find ambitions that that don't destroy everything around us. Ambitions that actually make us have real significance and ambitions that ultimately satisfy. There's a very ambitious person in the Bible. His name was Jesus. Jesus, I think, was the most ambitious person that ever lived. He accomplished the biggest task ever in human history. You think you're ambitious because you wanna make partner? You wanna be a full professor? How about redeeming the whole cosmos, right? That's like next level kind of ambition. His ambition is, is actually so much greater than ours. And why was he so ambitious? He was actually so ambitious because you and I can't get the job done. See, you and I can't rule everything perfectly. You and I can't fix every problem. You and I can't save ourselves. We can't ultimately author our own significance and deliver ourselves from all that's broken. He needs to be the one to do it. So what does Jesus say to us about our ambitions? I think the first thing that he says to us is, I know. I know that you desire great things. I know that you, you, you lie awake at night thinking about these things. I know that. And I know that because I actually created you to rule the world. That's why you're so ambitious. Do you remember Adam and Eve? I created, I created them to rule the world, to cultivate it, to grow it. I know that you desire great things. But I think he also says to us, I know that you've seen a lot of heartache. The screw-ups, the relationships sacrificed, the compromise. And I think he knows that because, I I think he would say to us that that happens because you weren't made to live with that kind of a burden. You weren't made to live to try and pursue that one thing that you think is going to give you everything that you want and need, and so you sacrifice everything to it. We weren't made to live that way. That's why we run into those problems. Remember, even his disciples, his inner circle, James and John, going to Jesus saying, I want you to elevate our status. And what happens? The disciples are indignant. Who are these guys? Relationships broken, even for God's people. To some of us, I think he would say, I know you're tired. I know you feel like you're just going on this treadmill and it's taxing. You're just wondering, ah, I just, but I feel like I gotta do this, but how am I gonna get this done? And I think he would say to us, You know, you feel that way because you were never intended to be a slave to a harsh taskmaster. Remember God's people in Egypt? Israelites, literal taskmasters. That wasn't their destiny, God delivered them. and I think he says to all of us deep down we seek these things because we want to be recognized. We want to know that we're important, significant. We desire that because we were made to be known, cherished, loved beyond what you and I could even imagine. And to have a life of actual sustained joy that didn't just change with our circumstances. When it comes to Jesus and ambition, he knows. And so what does he do? This ruler of the universe, this most ambitious person, he comes down to creation as a man, clothed in our finitude. And he lives this perfect life. He doesn't cut the corners that you and I cut. And he is wearied, his beaten body nailed to a cross. And he says, you want to know that you're important? Let me show you. And when he dies, He seals your value for eternity. You and I don't need to prove ourselves. You don't need to achieve things to know that you're somebody. I have to preach that to myself all the time. You don't need to do X to become Y. Because in Christ, in the gospel, you are his beloved. You have the love of the only one whose approval is weightier than the universe. So all of that ambition that you have, all that desire, I want that. I just think about it. The thing that consumes you, you know that feeling and that desire? That's actually how God feels about you. Think about that. That longing that keeps... That's how God feels about you. In Jeremiah 31, God says, my heart yearns for his people. Chapter 31. We've had 30 chapters of how God's people have forsaken him, how they have tried to find solutions and things that do not satisfy. And what does God ultimately say to those people? What does he say to his people? He says, my heart yearns for you. You don't need to prove yourself. But Jesus doesn't just leave us with these warm feelings. He actually inaugurates a kind of change. When he rises from the dead, you know that something new is happening. See, when we learn of this Jesus, when we learn of this God-man who says, or to whom we can think, like, you, you know what I, what I feel about my ambitions, and you know the way that I've harmed others, you know the way that I struggle, you know all these things, and you still, you still yearn for me, you still pursue me, when we see that, that's when we can begin with the Apostle Paul to say, we make it our aim to please him. In the context of the verse that I read, Paul is emphasizing the sheer breadth of this desire of his, this desire to please God. Whether he's here in his body, whether he's gone to be with the Lord, no matter what, He just wants to please this God. And importantly, we're not trying to please him to earn his approval. Many of us are ambitious because we're trying to get somebody's approval. But Paul Paul seeks to please God because he knows he already has his approval. I've got young kids, it means I see a lot of drawings. Why do you think think my kids bring me drawings? They're not looking to earn my approval. They come to me because they know they already have it. That makes them want to show me more pictures because they know their dad is gonna say, oh, that's great. They want to please me because they know they have my approval. They know that they please me. And that's not something that they earned. So how does this impact how we go about our ambitions? We're ambitious not to honor ourselves, but to rejoice in the work that we do with the one that we love. As Jesus inaugurates this new age for us, we see that our desire for greatness is actually part of this pretty big plan. It means that you and I are actually already part of something great, really great. In all of our work, we're part of God's redemptive plans for the universe, things that will last forever. That's a big plan. And what happens as Jesus conquers all this brokenness? What does he do? As the king of the universe, he holds his scepter and he looks at you and me and he says, Now go and do likewise. We do, we be ambitious and we desire these things because of who we are. We don't do to become. You see a great example of this in the life of the Apostle Paul. In the book of Galatians, he describes his own journey. He says he used to persecute the church and try to destroy it. This was an ambitious guy. He had a real mission. And he was advancing in Judaism beyond anybody. He studied under the best, He went to Harvard, and then Oxford, and after that, he went to Cambridge while he was doing something else at Princeton. This guy was just studying the best possible places. And he was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. You ever been around somebody and you're you're trying to say, oh man, I had this, this rough week, I worked like 60 hours. Well, I worked 70 hours. That was Paul. He was a zealous, zealous guy. Paul was very ambitious when he became a believer, what changed? He was still a very ambitious person, but he had a new mission. He had an ambition to preach the gospel where it had not yet been preached. He began to preach this new faith, and they glorified God because of him. And he was so zealous that he was beaten shipwrecked, stoned. What does it mean for us to be ambitious today? What does it mean for a Christian to be ambitious? It means to desire with your whole heart, with all your faculties, all your being, to please him, to delight in him, and to let that manifest, manifest in whatever work that you and I do. And so we need to ask ourselves today, what is your ambition for? Are you trying to prove yourself for something? Or are you doing what you're doing because God already approves? And he has said to you, go and love the world that I've created. Now importantly, that can look like the exact same job, but something inside is completely different. And as we meditate on that, we see that God's ambition is to love the world, to repair what was broken, and that begins to shape our own desires, our own ambitions. In 2 Samuel, David has this, King David has this revelatory moment you know, he's going around, and his kingdom is growing. Somebody builds him a palace, and he has a moment where he realizes, let me read this in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. We begin to realize that whatever station God has put us in is for the benefit of others. That's not an ambition, that sacrifices others, that destroys relationships. And everything we aim to please Him. That's why Paul can also say, whether you're eating, drinking, you can glorify God. So how do I test that? How do I practice my ambition well? Think about what you desire and ask yourself, do you pray about it If you want this one thing with your whole being, if it was really to please God, you'd probably talk to him about it. Ask yourself: do you spend time with God discussing your particular ambition? Another question: Do you take Sabbath? Are you able not? to work, recognizing all the other responsibilities that God has given you? Or is that too hard for you to do? Because if you cannot not work, if you have to constantly be working, you very well may be a slave to a harsh taskmaster. And finally, how do you react when your plans are frustrated, when you don't get those things that you wanted? are you devastated? Can you still please God if you don't have that particular thing? God calls each of us to different stations, to different work. Consider this morning where God has placed you, what burns inside your heart. We can all still have very different scopes of influence and power, But we begin to see that God has called us collectively to cultivate this world and to do that in the power of his redemptive activity and his spirit. And when we realize that no matter what we do can be done to honor the one that we love. If you're a chef and you make really great fried chicken, And I bite into that, and I think to myself, this is glorious. It reminds me that there is going to be a heavenly banquet that honors, that pleases God. Do you fix things that are broken? Every time you make something new once more, you're reminding people, that God is a God that fixes things. All things are going to be made new. When you fix things, you please God. Are you an artist? Do you make beautiful things? When you see something beautiful, you are reminding people that beauty is real. It's not a biochemical reaction. Beauty is real because God is beautiful. When you make things that are beautiful, you please God. The theologian John Calvin said that in all of our work, this is what he says, there is no work in the context of our ambitions, there's no work that will be so mean and sordid as not to have a splendor and value in the eye of God. Ambition in Him can be anything. It's not necessarily about worldly glory, acclaim, but it's an ambition that seeks to please Him. And so what I want you to to think about, to remember today, is I want you to be ambitious. I want you to desire with your whole heart, your whole faculty to please Him. Because in Him, you are actually working for greater things than you could even imagine. Because He rose from the dead, your labor is not in vain. Your work echoes through eternity. That's the kind of greatness that God Prepared for his people. In him, you're loved. You are somebody. You don't need to prove that to anybody. And finally, in him, you can be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be an ambitious people, an ambitious people to just. just want to desire to please you in everything. God, it is so easy for our ambitions to go askew. And yet, Lord, when when we dwell on the yearning that you have for us as your people, it changes us. And God, I pray that for all of us, myself included, that my ambitions would be renewed in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.